Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Listen to the exciting story of the American Community Schools of Athens. Check out what drives all the members of our international community of learners as we create the education of the future. Here's John Papadakis. International schools attract families from their host country, but primarily and traditionally families that are on the move. Whether it is for business purposes or just repatriation, international traveling families are making their homes around the world. Their common denominator, most of the times, is the educational standard for their children. There's, of course, the occasional student that has gone through many changes in school systems and languages. Most of the times, however, international families choose a school system that meets their children's needs, wherever they are located or relocated. Our guest today represents such a family who arrived at ACS Athens through the diplomatic core route and has also been part of our community of educators since. Ms. Valeria Leitinen is our Early Childhood Coordinator this year, while she served as the Elementary Vice Principal and Elementary Teacher before that. With Ms. Leitinen, we discuss How does following the diplomat's path through the countries develop a greater sense of empathy? Making the world your home. The portability of a career in education as a traveling family. The growth mindset, or learning through your mistakes. Feeling uncomfortable is the feeling of learning. Growing along with the students you're teaching. Early childhood education as the foundation for learning. The importance of getting to know the school before applying as a way to develop necessary trust. And becoming an international-minded student. So, I would like you to introduce us to your journey that brought you to ACS Athens. Is it the beaten path that most of our teachers follow through the international school circuit, or is yours a little different? That's a great question, John. It's a little bit different and similar at the same time. I have been an educator for 16 years and have worked in schools around the world. And the reason for my journey into these schools has been because I am the wife of a diplomat, a U.S. diplomat, and we follow his assignments around the world. First, we go through a bidding process to determine which country he's going to work in. And part of that bidding process is actually looking at the schools in the various countries that will be a best fit for my children and for myself. Once he gets the job, then I start targeting those schools for a job. We've lived in Slovakia, Uzbekistan, Canada, Ukraine, and now Greece. And so my journey to Greece was through Ukraine. That was my assignment before Athens. And my husband had an assignment here. And I was very fortunate and happy to arrive at ACS Athens as a fifth grade teacher and with my children in tow. Other than your master's degree in international educational leadership through Endicott University, your academic background, which is impressive, by the way, does not point to a career in education. With a bachelor's of arts in government from Harvard College and a master's degree in international affairs from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts, I would expect you to be a diplomat or a political science consultant. 
What was the force that brought you and keeps you in education? That's another great question. In fact, I started in international development with a focus on post-conflict reconstruction. And in our first assignment in Bangladesh, that is where I was working. And then we had children. And I realized that moving around the world, it may be more difficult to sustain that career. I decided to explore education as an option, knowing that that was a lot more portable. And so I went to George Mason, got my credentials, and began teaching in Slovakia at the International School in Bratislava. And found that not only did I love it, but I was so much better at it than my previous career. A career in international education requires empathy and open-mindedness. How does this cultural and linguistic diversity affect the thinking way of living of someone like you? Well, living in so many different countries, you have to be open-minded and open to new experiences. Your experiences at the market, on the streets with people on public transportation, you're going to have to understand that there is a uniqueness to each culture, yet there is something that binds us all as humanity. So I've been fortunate, and I think my children have been fortunate to have these varied experiences, both in Asia and Europe, Eastern Europe, Canada, and the United States, because we can't forget that sometimes we feel like strangers in our own country as mm -hmm. well, because mm -hmm. we've lived out of the country for so long. You mentioned portability. Would you think of a career other than education that could be appropriate for this kind of uh, portable living? I think education is really at the top because there are so many different options in education. There is international schools K-12. to You can be a professor at a university, visiting professor. In fact, I run a workshop for the Foreign Service Institute, which trains diplomats and their families. And my workshop is on finding a career or establishing yourself as an educator internationally. So it's difficult to imagine another career that is as portable and that has relevance in every country. Because if you're a nurse, for example, you need to get certifications locally, and mm -hmm. that may be difficult. Mm -hmm. If you are a journalist, you may or may not be considered a friend of the country. So right. education really is the best one. During your studies, uh, you must have come across many methodologies, many approaches to learning. Is there something that still guides you, that still opens up doors in your way of teaching as you face new challenges? It's the culture of thinking, being open-minded and being an inquirer and being very intentional about your language with students, with your colleagues, allowing for problem-based learning building strategies. I'm a big proponent in teacher language as the foundation for building a community in the classroom, mm -hmm. not only for a caring, empathetic classroom, but for making it an engaging and participatory place as well. Mm -hmm. You have been actively involved with staff development. Can you talk a little bit about the growth mindset? Uh, is it a practice of the teaching faculty or does it also include the students? Staff development has been one of the most rewarding parts of my job here at ACS and in my other jobs as well in other countries. Um, so the growth mindset is, it's a way of living. It's something that we teach actively in our classrooms. 
with the hope that it becomes ingrained and intrinsic in the children as well. And the basic premise in, at its most simplest terms is that we all make mistakes and that we can do something about those mistakes. And that with you grow through your mistakes, grow through your mistakes. And that it's not just about, oh, I made a mistake, but it's what can I learn from this and what can I do with this in new information? There's also the element of grit and persistence that when my favorite thing to tell kids when they're struggling a little bit with a math problem, for example, and I say, are you feeling uncomfortable right now? And they say, yes. And I said, that's great. This feeling is the feeling of learning. If you know something and you can do it, you're not learning anything new. But if you're a little bit uncomfortable and you're struggling a little bit, then that means you're growing new connections in your brain. That means you're trying to dig and find the existing knowledge that you have and pair it with the next skill that you're ready to learn. Obviously, if a child is struggling too much, they're in a frustrational point and you need to scale it back and support them. But that feeling of, of discomfort, and we feel it as adults too, and we don't like it any better than the kids do. And it's really important for our teachers and our parents and all of the right. adults that are working with children to understand that when they feel uncomfortable about learning something new, that's exactly how the kids are feeling. And they need to embrace it and really just grab it and push through because the learning that happens when they do push through is incredible. Growing pains for the mind. Absolutely. You have been with us for four years now. Much has changed since then from the school environment to planning school operations to the external challenges, especially with COVID. What were your expectations as you started in your in the elementary school as a fifth grade teacher? In my mind, I was ready to embrace a new grade level. I had just come out of 10 years of teaching third grade, and Ms. Moros put me in fifth grade. I had a lot of trepidation. I thought, I can't teach these kids. I don't even know their math. And I learned alongside them and really used this growth mindset approach to really grow to love fifth graders. And at the end of the year, I thought, there's no way I can go back. So my expectation was to grow as a fifth grade teacher. And then the assistant principal position came open. For a while, my friends and colleagues had said, you know, when are you going to be a principal? And I thought, well, as the wife of a diplomat whose movements are uncertain from one country to another, how could I possibly sustain that as a career? And finally, I said, well, I'll just go for it. Why not? This is something that I enjoy. I really enjoy developing staff and sharing knowledge and growing and strengthening my colleagues. And so I went to Endicott to get my master's in international educational leadership and got the vice principal position and, and have loved it ever since. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. From the fifth grade, you went to the vice principalship of the elementary school, and now you are leading the early childhood program, which includes all early grades until grade two. Uh, what kind of perspective this has given you as you oversee the preparation of really young students, most of them bilingual at best, towards entering the second part of elementary school? 
this has been a wonderful transition for me because I was less familiar with the younger grades, yet the foundational skills and learning that happens in those ages really determines how they're going to do in third through fifth. So it has been a wonderful opportunity to get into all of these classrooms and see what does it look like to use play to build beginning reading and math skills and to gain an understanding of the world around them through the early social studies and science units, and then see how that becomes strengthened in first and second grade so that they are ready to apply what they've Mm -hmm. learned in the early years into third through fifth. Does your thinking, your practice require you to consider the transition to middle school later on? Or is this not in your realm of activity or strategy? I think it's important to help the kids get from one phase to the next without looking too far ahead. In my vice principal role, where I was working with teachers all the way through fifth grade, yes, because the transition from fifth to sixth is very important. But I think looking JK to grade two, the focus really is on getting them ready to apply their skills in third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade. Mm -hmm. International students face a dilemma when they decide to join our school, especially in those early childhood years. How will their children cope with learning their native language as they try to learn a completely new language? How can you put their minds at ease? How can those children integrate better in a system that is designed to bring everyone together in an English-speaking mindset? In our junior kindergarten uh, and kindergarten, we really believe in full immersion in English. And children who don't speak English go through a silent period and then eventually start speaking with their classmates first. What's, What's the typical duration of the silent period? It really depends. It depends on perhaps the culture and it depends on what's going on at home. And Mm -hmm. are they listening to any English at home Mm -hmm. or are they just focusing on their home language? Mm -hmm. So it really depends. Uh, It's interesting to see some of our kids in older elementary that we know came in with zero English and now they sound like little American children. So it, it really depends. And then starting in first grade, we do have ESL and we have kind of a two-tiered program. We have foundational skills daily for all children that are learning English. And then we have, for non-Greek children, we have an additional three periods a week. The Greek children are required by law to Mm. attend Greek class, but they're able to take the daily foundational course. So again, it, it depends on the child very much. We are able to bring them into the mainstream classroom as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. You have participated in many conferences with parents who come to learn about the progress of their children. Uh, You have also discussed and advised teachers preparing for similar conferences. How important is the participation of parents in the pedagogical approach of a school that follows a completely different system than their own in many cases? It's critical. It's the parent is a partner, a full partner in the education of their children. And it's important when choosing a school like ACS that they spend time on our website to understand who we are before they even apply. 
And then once they do apply and they get in, it's really important that they maintain a communication with us, most importantly through their homeroom teachers, then through myself and the mm -hmm. principal as needed, uh, and through meetings with Dr. Polonis as well, joining the PTO. It's really important that the parents understand that we are quite unique and that they need to trust our process. If they've given us their children in our care, then they need to understand that we have a certain approach. And we're very open to hearing from the parents and to understanding their perspective and their ideas. At the same time, they need to really embrace the way that we teach. From your experience, is there a case of a child that stands out as it comes to language and cultural integration? Uh, or even a family that you believe embodies what international education stands for? It's hard to think of just one child or one family, but what really makes a successful ACS family is that family that is open to our methodology and is embracing of our way of teaching. It goes back to the collaboration we were talking before. Absolutely. The golden triangle between the parent, the school, and the child. We all have to be on the same page and we can have different opinions. What's important is how those opinions are communicated. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get parent communication that is quite strong and accusatory. And when you then get them on the phone and, and you hear them out, then you understand where the misunderstandings have come from. And I guess it's important to encourage all of our families to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, the entire ACS Athens community currently uh, prepares for its upcoming accreditation evaluation that validates our processes, academic methods, our very existence. Most, if not all, American schools abroad go through a similar process. Why go through such a process and not adopt, let's say, another school-wide curriculum that is universally accredited? The accreditation process is important for mobile families that are moving from one country to another because they want to know that the programs have been vetted by an external organization. It also means that a school has gone through the process of reflecting on their practices, not just the curriculum, but the leadership structure, the finances, the assessments, the support services for students. And so it's important both externally so a family can trust that the school is a good school for their child and also internally it allows us to constantly evaluate and reevaluate and reflect on our practices and determine what's working and what's not and it's important in an accreditation process as a school to focus on those areas that maybe could be strengthened It's important to celebrate everything that we do well and also cast a critical eye on some of the things that maybe we've always done and we could change and do better and differently. And at the end, the diploma has some value. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, if you had an advice for parents who are thinking about bringing a student, their kids to the early childhood program that you're heading, what would that advice be? We were talking about open-mindedness. We were talking about, you know, diversity that we are expressing through our activities, our programs. What is the role of these parents as they come in? So the role of the parent, again, is to be a partner in their child's learning. And it's 
for the parents also to be open-minded, open to our approaches and our methodologies, and that they're not sending their child to a Greek school. They're sending their child to an American school in Greece that is very international and that will provide their child with a very strong education. Their child will become a problem solver. Their child will become a strong, independent learner. Their child will become a citizen of the world. They need to understand that that might make it difficult for their child to fully reintegrate back into their own culture because they're becoming somebody new, this hybrid student that is maybe neither American nor Greek, but actually international. Ms. Leitner, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Make sure you subscribe to The Owlcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This has been a production of the ACS Athens Media Studio. Mm-hmm.